This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. I want to start today with a statement made by a man named Walt Kelly. And you've probably heard this. He said, and I quote, We have met the enemy, and he is us. Unquote. Well, that statement comes from a report that Commodore Perry made to William Henry Harrison during the War of 1812. Perry made this statement after the Battle of Lake Erie, Erie, but that's not exactly what he said. Here's what he said, and I quote, We have met the enemy, and they are ours, unquote. But you know, Kelly's statement seems to apply to a lot of people. We have met the enemy, and he is us. I want to look at a lesson entitled today, Self-Imposed Prisons, because we put ourselves in various kinds of prisons. And today I want to look at seven of these self-imposed prisons. The first self-imposed prison is self-satisfaction. A definition of that is excessive satisfaction with one's self or one's achievement, smug complacency. You see, oftentimes we may reach a plateau and then it stifles our growth and we become useless. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, excuse me, a hiccup, every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, going back to verse 1 there and taking it apart just a little bit, the compassing about of so great cloud of witnesses is what you look at in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith that is there. Now, he says, let us lay aside every weight, You think about a weight. We're running in a race, this race of life. But say, let's let's say we're running. Oh, I was ran back in the old days. We're running a a quarter mile, 440 yards. Now, in that race, you don't want to have be wearing your boots. You don't want to be wearing a coat. You know, you don't want to be wearing some kind of weight. You want to be modest, but you want to be as light as you can be. So in that race, you're not going to want some kind of weight slowing you down. And that's what we're looking at there in this part of the verse. Sore. 
the parable of the sower. And you look in Matthew chapter 13, and verse 22 is what we're looking at here. It says, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. You see right there, those are weights that we need to lay aside. Now you go to Luke chapter 8 and you find the same parable but a little bit more to the explanation there in verse 14, Luke 8, 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. You see, we become self-satisfied. So we need to lay those weights aside. And then he mentions the sin. The sin there, the sin of unbelief is specifically what he's talking about there, which doth so easily beset us. You see that, the word beset, as we're looking at this race that we're talking about, that word is talking about a competitor who is thwarting a racer. They're doing something to stop that other person from winning. And then we need to run with patience. That is hopeful endurance. We need endurance in this life. The race that is set before us. So we need to not become self-satisfied, not reach this plateau that's going to stifle our growth. And we become useless because we become, as he said there in Luke chapter 8, we are choked with the cares and riches of this world, the pleasures of this life. And we're not fruitful for God because we're self-satisfied. Well, that is one way self-satisfaction happens. Another way that it happens is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And that is when our affections are on ourself. The me complex there. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If you then be risen with Christ, now stop there for a minute. How are we risen with Christ? Well, chapter 2, verse 12 tells us that. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. So if we've been baptized into Christ, if you're risen with Christ, continuing chapter 3, verse 1, seek those things that are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We need to be seeking those things that are above, not putting our affections on ourselves. Now verse 2, he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You see, that's where we become self-satisfied. Our affections are on us the things that are on the earth and not those things that are above. 
you know, it's hard to move people away from a plateau of self-satisfaction. Let's look at a biblical example in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 28 to 37. Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 to 37. We're looking at King Nebuchadnezzar here. And he is a self-satisfied individual at this point. Anyway, verse 28 says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And now we're going to see what it was. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is, this, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? A self-satisfied individual. Verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from me, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and ex excellent majesty was added to me. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. King Nebuchadnezzar learned that fact. Self-satisfaction is hard to be moved away from. That's a plateau that's hard for us to be moved away from. But you'll notice it mentions there that until seven times shall pass over thee. That's verse 32. The word seven is the complete number. Whenever you look at the various times it is used in the Bible, and it just means an unknown, complete set of time to accomplish God's will. And that's what happened there. Nebuchadnezzar started out self-satisfied. Then, after this time period, whatever it was, 
we see that finally it God broke him of that self-satisfaction and he humbled himself before God and praised him. Well, we should only be satisfied if we're steadfast in doing the Lord's will. And that means doing it every day. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, we need to be always involved in the work of the Lord. So self-satisfaction is one of the self-imposed prisons we stick ourselves into. The second self-imposed prison is inferiority. I mean, just the opposite of self-satisfaction. Inferiority, the condition of being lower in status or quality than another or others. You see, we defeat ourselves because we feel that we don't have any ability. I just can't do it. Just look at an example of that back in the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And it kind of amazes us that the man who had this inferiority complex is Moses. Exodus chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 14. 10 to 14. God speaking to Moses says, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And, excuse, and he said, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto thee. But you see, Moses is this inferiority complex. You know, we go down to chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Well, God gives him some signs there to prove that to them. Now look at chapter 4 there, verses 10 through 13. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of, whom thou, of him whom thou wilt send. In other words, he's saying, send somebody else. I can't do it. 
Verse 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. So Moses had an inferiority complex, but he got over it. You know, it took God's anger to get him out of it, but he got over it. Look at another example. And this is in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8. It says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. I can't do it. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. So again, Jeremiah got over his inferiority complex. You know, people who could be great song leaders, great teachers, great evangelistic workers, great elders, on and on and on, too often may have an inferiority complex. If they get out of it, they would do wonders in the work of the Lord. And besides that, no one in Christ should feel inferior. Just some examples here, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus says there, Go ye into all the world and teach the gospel, or teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Jesus is always with us. We should not feel inferior. In Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul just said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We can do it. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Says, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we should not have an inferiority complex if we're in Christ. Now let's look at the third self-imposed prison, and there are a lot of people in this one, and that's superstition. Superstition is a belief founded on irrational feelings, especially fear, marked by trust in charms, omens, the supernatural, on and on. You could go there. Well, there was a 2014, I know this is eight years old, but it was a 2014 U.gov survey. Do you believe, are you superstitious? We'll put it this way. 
ages 18 to 29, 18% said yes. 37% said it depends. 45% said no. Now from ages 30 to 44, 15% said they are superstitious, 28% says it depends, and 56% said no. In ages 45 to 64, 11% said they were superstitious, 23% said it depends, 66% said no. And then ages 65 and up, only 6% are superstitious. 22% said it depends and 72% said no. So, you know, even if you don't consider yourself a particularly superstitious person, uh, you may say, bless you when somebody sneezes, and you know what that is? That's just in case the devil should decide to steal their soul, as our ancestors thought possible during a sneeze. Well, we may not know that, but that's how it started. Four out of five professional athletes report engaging in at least one superstition behavior prior to the game. Four out of five professional athletes are superstitious. Well, biblical example, King Saul believed in superstition. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 5 to 19. 1 Samuel chapter 28, and we're going to begin there in verse 5. 1 Samuel. I'm in 2 Samuel. Let's go to 1 Samuel. Chapter 28 again. 1 Samuel 28, 5 to 19. It says, And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. In other words, find me a medium for me, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said unto him, Behold, there is a woman that is, uh, hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring, bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore, wherefore layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. You know why? Because it had never happened before. You know, that's just superstition. All there is about it, but God at that day allowed Samuel to come up. And then she realized who Saul was. And he, uh, when she cried with a loud voice, the woman spake to Saul, middle of verse 12, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. 
And the king said unto her, Be not afraid. For what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I'm sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I've called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee, and has become thine enemy? Verse 17, it appears he's talking to the, he is talking to the woman. The Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. And then he's talking to Saul again. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor even David. Because thou obeyedest not his voice of the Lord, not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So Saul was a superstitious individual, and superstitions are nothing but a lack of trust in God. That's all they are. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. 1 Kings 18, 21. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They didn't know. They did not trust in God. And that's all superstition is. So that's the third self-imposed prison, superstition. A fourth self-imposed prison is hatred, defined as intense dislike or ill will. You know, many lives, unfortunately, many lives are controlled by hate. You look around our world today, the political world, stuff like that, it's controlled by hate. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, that is not something that is spoken of in the Bible. Very the opposite. But it was one that the one of the traditions there that they had made up. Verse 44, Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's the kind of an attitude we need to have, not hatred. In Matthew 24, look at verses 9 and 10. Matthew 24, 9 and 10. Talking about the signs for the destruction of Jerusalem there. 
Jesus said, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Again, those were for the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem, but we look around us in our world today. How many how much hatred is there in our world? Look at John chapter seven verses 5 through 7. John chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. It says, Thereof Jesus' brethren, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, because, but it, me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. See, that's one reason we will be hated if we stand up for the truth and stand against sin. In 1 John chapter 2, look at verses 9 through 11. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says there, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. It's a self-imposed prison. And then look at 1 John 3:15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If we hate someone, we're lost. That is a self-imposed prison. Let's look at the fifth self-imposed prison, and that is indecision. That is a wavering between two or more possible courses of action. Well, we've already read it once, but let's go back again to 1 Kings 18.21. Kings 18.21. Because decisions are part of life, and every decision has its consequences. Well, Again, the children of Israel here, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord God be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him not a word. They were indecisive. In Luke chapter 16, look at verse 25. Luke chapter 16, verse 25. Here we're looking at the uh, rich man and Lazarus, and Lazar, the rich man's been talking to Abraham. And verse 25 says, Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. You see, the rich man lived for the pleasures of this world, the wealth he could get, and his decision had consequences, did it not? And then Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 10. Romans chapter 2, 
verses 5 to 10 says there, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile. But glory and peace, a glory, honor and peace, to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So we need not be indecisive. That is a self-imposed prison. Look at a couple of more passages. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor the abusers in theft with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, politicians and society today is trying to force upon us that homosexuality is just another lifestyle, but God's Word doesn't say that. In the patriarchal system, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. Under the law of Moses, there homosexuality, those who practiced it were to be executed. Under the law of Christ, we see that homosexuality is sin, and therefore those who practice it are lost. So decisions have their consequences. We need to make the right decisions. Look at Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I mean, there it is. We have decisions to make, and those decisions have consequences. And we must make our decisions according to God's will. That's where those decisions need to be made. Look first at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. It says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. But he said, and he said to another, Follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. 
And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looketh back is fit for the kingdom of God. We need to make our decisions, not be indecisive, but make our decisions according to the word of God. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3 now. Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10. Proverbs 3, 5 to 10. says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So right there, don't be indecisive. Trust the Lord. Do what God says. And don't lean to our own understanding. Don't trust in ourselves. Trust in God. Now let's look at the sixth self-imposed prison. And that is unbelief and doubt. All right, let's give a definition for those. Lack of religious belief and absence of faith a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. You see, too many people either don't believe in God's power or his providence, and they live like it. They live like they don't believe in God's power. There's, there's doubt. There's unbelief in their lives. Let's look at a few verses here. Let's go first to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 54 to 58. Matthew 13, 54 to 58. And when he was come into his own country, that being Jesus, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many works there because of their unbelief. Even his brothers and his sisters did not believe in him. Now, we notice some of the brothers at least came to believe in him after his resurrection. But there's doubt. Do we have doubt in our lives? Do we really doubt? Do we, are we really convinced that God's going to give us eternal life if we obey him? Or is there doubt? Look at Matthew 14, 31. Matthew 14, 31. It says there, you know, Peter, he had 
walked out on the water. Now he's starting to go down. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt? You walked this far. You see, we begin doubting like Peter did there when we start looking around us. We take our eye off of Christ and following him and we start looking around at the cares of this world and we begin to doubt just like Peter did there. Go to Mark chapter 6 and look at verses 4 through 6. Mark chapter 6 verses 4 through 6. Again, this is another time whenever they're talking about his brethren, beginning back in verse 1 there. But verse 4 says, Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. You see, does God marvel at our unbelief, at our doubt? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Yeah. Can't get my fingers to work here. It says there, of Paul, speaking of himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. How many people out there are living their lives ignorantly in unbelief of God? There are many people that say, oh, I believe in God, but how many people believe God? See, too many people make God after their own self instead of trying to make their self to be like God. Be ye holy as I am holy. God stated that, did he not? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You see, that's a self-imposed prison when we don't believe, when we're in doubt. But God demands that we have strong faith and that we believe him. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, while we're here in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of them that, what? Diligently seek him. Not seek him a little, not seek him a once a month, or just seek him ever once in a while. We diligently, we seek him with all our ability. So we must have that strong faith. And an example of that strong faith is back in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 16 to 22. 
Romans 4.16 Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now speaking of Abraham, verse 18, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And that was spoken before Isaac was even born. Back in Genesis 15, verse 19 now. And being not weak in faith, that being Abraham, he considered not his own body now dead when it was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. He had a strong, he didn't doubt. He didn't doubt that I'm a hundred years old. I can't have children. Sarah's 90 years old. She can't have children. Yeah, what are we thinking? We're not, not going to happen. No, he didn't have doubt. He had faith. He knew it was going to happen. Because as it mentioned there, God speaks of things that are as though they haven't been, as though they have been. Well, unbelief or doubt is a self-imposed prison. Now let's look at the seventh and last one. The seventh self-imposed prison is sin. Sin is an immoral act considered to be transgression against divine law. Sin makes slaves out of us. In John chapter 8, look at verse 34. John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. If we sin, we are sin's servants. It makes slaves out of us. In Romans chapter 6, look at verse 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Paul said, Know ye not that whom ye yield your servant, yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Sin makes us a slave, a self-imposed prison. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you're free from righteousness. So again, another verse that says sin makes slaves out of us. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. 2 Peter 2, 17 to 19. Speaking of false teachers, he says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure or entice through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Wantonness there is unbridled lust. 
who are those that were clean escaped from them who live in error while they promised them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. Slave, or excuse me, sin brings us into bondage. We're slaves. Well, God has a law of pardon. In Acts chapter 2, look at verses 22 to 24. He has this law of pardon so that we can escape being slaves of sin. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Peter said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And in verses 32 to 38, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Of course, that being the speaking in foreign languages there going back to chapter first part of chapter 2. Verse 34 now. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself saith, or saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, this is the conclusion. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, in the name, or excuse me, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God has given us that law of pardon so that we can have salvation. Go to Romans chapter 6 now and look at verses 15 to 18. Romans 6, 15 to 18. It says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Again, verse 16 we read a while ago. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, see, we can be made free from being slaves of sin but we become another's slave. The last part of that verse, verse 18, you became servants of righteousness. No longer slaves of sin, but now slaves of God. 
slaves of righteousness. And then, well, we'll just stop right there. So, God has a law of pardon for us so that we don't have to be slaves of sin. And God has a law of pardon for those who have fallen away, those who have gone back into the world. Go to Acts chapter 8, verses 20 to 24. Acts chapter 8, verses 20 to 24. And we're looking here at Simon the sorcerer, and we see that he became a child of God. In verse 13 says, Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So he was a, a baptized believer. His sins were washed away. Now verse 20. Peter said unto him, this Simon he's speaking to, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Neither hast thou part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. We can repent and pray to God for forgiveness. And in Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the origin there. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot or cold. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. As many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. We must repent and pray because sin causes us to be in a self-imposed prison. So sometimes we are our own worst enemies. We put ourselves into the self-imposed prisons of self-satisfaction, inferiority, superstition, hatred, indecision, unbelief, and sin. If we will only trust in God and obey Him, we'll be made free from our own self-imposed prisons. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. 
You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoy this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.